Anyways, all right, let's use these Bibles. I'll find out later what was so funny. Let's open the Bible today to the book of Luke. As you know, Christmas is coming, and uh, it's a good time to remember and meditate on what Jesus did for us by coming to earth, taking on skin and bone, taking on our flesh and blood so that he might redeem the world. And you know as well as I do that this plan is not just a plan that, that uh, was a last-minute thing that came up. This was something that God knew before the beginning of time, and he promised mankind from the moment that they fell, because this all begins with God creating mankind and mankind not taking too long to mess it up. Adam and Eve didn't take too long before they messed up everything. But you can't really mess up anything so bad that God can't redeem it or fix it. And so as mankind messed up and gave up their dominion through letting sin into the world, through giving Satan more uh, authority than he ever was meant to be given, from that moment that they're tossed out of the garden, in the same breath, God promises that he's going to send someone to crush the head of that serpent, and it's going to be the seed of the woman. Now, what's so interesting is that in the book of Genesis, you see him tell Eve and you see him tell the serpent that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And as you know, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but everybody here knows with a, with a fifth grade level of biology, you know that women don't, uh, aren't the seed part of the equation. And the reason he said it this way was because Jesus was uniquely born. Jesus was not born with an earthly father. Jesus was born of a woman. And the reason he was born of a woman, it wasn't that God created this woman differently than any other woman, but God supernaturally caused her to conceive, even as a virgin. And so this is, a, this is something that today might seem like it's far out, but it is a foundational truth. And, I, I, you know, you might have some people that say, do you really believe in the virgin birth? Absolutely. I've seen blind people get their sight back. It's not hard to believe that God could cause this woman to have a baby. God has set laws in the universe... He's set laws that, that, that uh, function and cause the world to work. One of those laws is there's, one, there's generally one way that babies are born. We don't want to go into depth about that, but you know how that happens. But just because there are natural laws does not mean that the creator of those laws can't supersede them. So when you read those stories about Jesus... I mean, all of these things that he did, the miracles that he did, often he was doing something that's impossible by natural law. But the angel said to Mary, all things are possible. He's, actually, he said, is there anything too hard for God? In fact, let's read that in, in the book of Luke. Let's read what the angel says to Mary. Mary is, um, as you may know, at this point she's just a teenager. She's engaged to a guy named Joseph. And uh, in that day and age, well, rather she's betrothed, in that day and age, that was something almost as unbreakable as marriage itself. It wasn't, you didn't have a bunch of people getting engaged and just, you know, breaking it off. That was a covenant in and of itself was to be betrothed to someone. You were committing and uh, agreeing, promising to marry this person. There were certain laws that they'd followed for centuries that had to do with taking a, um, a prospective spouse, taking a fiancé, if you want to call it that, although that's our word, not theirs. And uh, there were some commitments and some things that had to be followed. One thing you didn't see a lot of 
in that day and age was you, you didn't see babies often born out of wedlock. That was not, that's something that's common in our culture, but was not common back then. And, um, you know, that was something that was very much shocking if that would have happened. So Mary, as you know, got pregnant before she was married. She got pregnant before she was married, and it wasn't because she was a, 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 a woman with, with not so great morals. It wasn't because she was running around with guys. She was a very pure young lady, but this was something that God did. But you can understand how that might mess up your life. You're in a small town. This is something that never happens. All of a sudden, you're pregnant, and you're telling everybody God did it. That's an awkward conversation to have with a lot of people. Let's read what the angel says to Mary, because as you know, it, it probably took an angel saying something like this for, for her to really believe it. In the book of Luke, and we're going to go just in the first chapter there, to verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and of the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Because, you know, I mean, you might think that's not a very troubling thing to say. That sounds like a very nice thing to say. But if you're a young woman in a time where people didn't just have regular visits from angels, an angel pops up in your door and says, Hey, favored one, which means you're more special than all these other girls around. Hey, favored one, hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was serious enough, even at that young age, to know that she should take this seriously, that it had some consequence to it. So she was greatly troubled by this. What does this mean? She probably thought of herself as no different than everybody else. She probably thought of herself as just one of the, just one of the village girls. There was nothing different about her. And yet the angel says, there's something different about you. There's something special about you. The Lord is with you. In the next verse, it says this. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now to us, those words sound pretty unique in their own right. But to Mary, they would have rung some bells in her mind. Because the angel is saying some things that are unique to her, but he's referencing prophecies through centuries. When he talks about the throne of David, when he talks about the kingdom having no end, he's referencing prophecies that probably she had heard growing up. And I don't know at what point, but she's clicking that he's not just talking about a special kid. He's talking about the Messiah. Whether she really realized it to the full degree or not, this isn't just a normal baby. Something is special about this kid. He's telling her that what you've heard of all your life, because you see to us, We've, we've made these, these strange little compartments in our life 
Hopefully you're getting over this, but so many people, there's, there's these compartments that we have. There's a compartment for work. There's a compartment for play. There's a compartment for family. There's a compartment for church and God. And really, we weren't designed to have all these different compartments. You weren't designed to keep God in a corner or to keep this religious part of yourself in one thing. I mean, you are a spirit and everything is spiritual. And so God is meant to be in every part of it. But to them, they didn't have all these different categories. She didn't just go to, to, to you know, the synagogue on the weekend. She didn't just, you know, uh, hear about the prophecies every, every few weeks. This was something that they were taught from a young age that someday a Messiah would come. This is something that had been prophesied for centuries and centuries. If there was anything they held to be true, it's that God had not forsaken them. Though there was a time when the Seleucid Empire came through and humiliated them and mistreated them, and, and did abominable, abominable things in their temple. Though later on, the Romans came in and conquered them and put them down. And though they had revolts and temporary rebellions, they were, for centuries, had been dominated by empire. They had been told all their life, don't worry, God didn't forget you. Don't worry, Jehovah hasn't left us alone. Don't worry, a, a redeemer is coming from Zion. Messiah is coming. Now to some people, that was just kind of something you said to each other and, and you, you just stopped believing it. You know, the Pharisees were experts on the Messiah. But when Jesus came and fulfilled every prophecy they had ever heard and in front of them fed thousands with, with just a basket full of food, in front of them did miracles that they couldn't explain. When they saw it, they were so hardened to the fact that it could happen that they refused to accept him. Though they said the Messiah is coming, when he actually came, they weren't expecting it. They didn't want to believe it. But somebody like Mary with a pure heart, she believed it. And when the angel speaks to her and says, this boy is going to be what's been promised for centuries. He's going to rule. He's going to, uh, uh, he's going to reign on the, on the seat of his father David. In other words, he's coming through that line of David. He will be the Messiah. She treasured this. It says here in verse 34 that Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, in other words, here I am. Voila. Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We often, and we've talked about this before, but we often overlook what a big deal that might have been. You know, the angel comes in and says, you're special. You're blessed. The Lord likes you. But instead of saying, hey, you found favor with the Lord. And there is, there's like five brand new donkeys out in front for you. 
You found favor with the Lord. You're getting a free house. And, and not only that, but there's a sweet swimming pool in the back. Instead, you found favor with the Lord, and you're going to be ostracized in your village, and you're going to be put out, and you're, I don't know how your fiance is going to take it, and you're going to have to deal with some stuff normal girls your age don't have to deal with. You're blessed. You found favor. God is with you. See, when we hear you found favor with the Lord, we're like, well, what are you doing for me? But to Mary, she was just told that she was playing a part in God's big picture plan for humanity. And that to her was finding favor with God. To her, that was exciting. You should see what she does when she sees Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, the baby inside Elizabeth, leaps as soon as Mary comes and visits. But then watch what Mary sings, she, she, we, we call it a song now, but, but really she said it, but she said it so poetically, we, we, we don't know how she said it. But in, in verse 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And you want to stop her and say, girl, don't you know what's going to happen? This isn't a pleasant thing, at first at least. You're going to have to put up with some stuff. Did you know when Jesus was 30-something years old, there were still people that were, that were calling his mom names because they knew this story? One of the things the Pharisees said, they, they said three really tough things to him. To them, they were tough things. They called him a Samaritan. Now, that's not a big deal to us, but to them, that was, you know, oh, you don't want to be called a Samaritan. They said he had a demon. And they said his mother, when they basically called him, you know, son of a loose woman. Wasn't a very nice thing that they said. At least we weren't born out of sin is what they said. So if the Pharisees knew about that, don't you think other people knew about that? She had to go through her life telling people this is what God had done and have most of the people that talked to her not believe her. Yet she's singing a song thanking God. I'm rejoicing in what you've done for me. My spirit rejoiced for, I mean, all generations are going to count me blessed. She says this. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. In other words, those that had oppressed her people. You see, her people had been oppressed for centuries. And he's, she's saying, those, you know, just like David said, he said, why are the wicked people doing so well see God didn't have a problem with with rich people in general but she's talking about the ones who, who were so proud in their heart and so exalted not only that but like James talks about some of these guys they didn't get rich by by being good business people they got rich on the backs of these people you know Mary's from a poor village they got rich on the backs of her people she said all of a sudden somebody's flipping this on its head these empires that have dominated us those that thought they were too good, those that were proud and thought they didn't need anything, he's setting things right. He's making things right again. She says this, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. 
This sounds like she's happy about it. This sounds like she's pretty happy. So should she be, right? I mean, this is the son of the most high. This is the son of God that she's, gonna, she's going to bear and she's going to get to raise. The reason I played up a little bit, played up some of the difficulties she was going to go through was to show you this, that to her, being part of the big picture of God's redemption was a lot bigger than some of the small little things she'd have to deal with. To her being part of God's big giant plan, to her being part of redemption for humanity, no matter how much trouble that might cause her, to her that was a gigantic blessing because she's saying, I get to be part of the big picture. And that's an awesome thing. You see, sometimes we get so jammed up in, in, in our immediate circle of things around us that we forget that you've been called into a greater kingdom. You've been called into something much bigger, and God cares for you. He cares about those little things. Sometimes we, you can fall into either ditch, right? There's a ditch on for Somebody said, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, right? So it's easy to get into the ditch on either side. You can get so concerned with what's going on in your life that you forget that there's something much bigger than just you. And then you can go far to the other side and get so big picture that you forget that God cares even about the little things. He cares about your kids. He cares about your family. He cares about your job. He loves you. So don't think that because we're talking big picture that God just thinks of you as cannon fodder. He loves you and he cares for you. And as, as, as the great Billy Graham would often say in his uh, crusades, he said, if you were the only one that was on the earth, Jesus still would have died for you. And that's very true. Sometimes we meet people who are convinced that God loves the world. They're just not convinced God loves them. You have to first be convinced that he loves you. Individually, not just as part of humanity, but individually he loves you. You say, I don't know how God could possibly love, love me. Well, we all fall into that category. The Bible says we all fell short of the glory of God. There's not one person here that qualified for that love. So if he loves all of us, if he loved any of us, he can love all of us. Yeah. Right? But then you get to that point where sometimes you're just so concerned about, about your trajectory that you forget you're part of a big picture plan that's much bigger than yourself. God is capable, completely capable of handling the microscopic things and the universal giant things. This is the God that holds everything in, together by his word. If he can keep those atoms and molecules going like they should go and yet keep the universe expanding at a rapid rate, don't you think he can handle the little things in your life and the big things in the world? So as, as he is this way, I want us to remember that it is a great honor to be part of what God's doing in the big picture, to be part of a kingdom. The Bible says that you've been transferred. Once you received Jesus, once you, once you were born again, you were transferred from the domain of darkness. Do you know what a domain is? That's control. That's, that's the, the oppressive control of darkness. You might have thought you were just doing your own thing. You might have thought you were living your own life. But if you, before you knew Jesus, you were under the control of darkness. It says he rescued you from darkness. But he didn't just leave you in limbo. He didn't just leave the gear in neutral and say, okay, well, you're not going backwards anymore. He didn't just rescue you from darkness. He transferred you, it says, into the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, and you were transferred into the kingdom of God. 
Once you're part of a kingdom of God, that's big picture stuff. You are part of, a, of an awesome plan. And to Mary, being part of that, she considered herself blessed more than anybody else. You know, the only question she seems to ask is, how are you doing that? I'm a virgin. You know I'm a virgin, right? But she never says, man, you know, the, what, what about the bills? Or she never says, you know, do I, I mean, I'm going to have to put up with some dirty looks for a, for a long period of time. Is there any way we can get around this? Can you wait till Joe and I are married? Because once her and Joseph get married, there's not really a miracle there that people can see of a virgin giving birth. So God had to do it at this moment. But it's going to mess up her life. And here's what Joseph runs into in Matthew chapter 1. We believe that Joseph was a good man. We believe that because the Bible says he was. Matthew 1, 18 it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. To give you context, and some of you already know this, but to give you context, under the Mosaic law, there were serious consequences for, what, for, for getting pregnant before you were married especially if you were promised to another guy. Joseph knows that. And he's a good enough man that he doesn't want Mary to go through what, what the law said she'd have to go through. So he said he wanted to put her away quietly so that there wouldn't be too much disgrace. So here's a guy. Now, now you realize at this point, he thinks she cheated on him. Now, some of you have been through that. The first thing on your mind isn't, how can I make this person look as good as possible? That's not the thing running through your head. They cheated on me. I better do some PR for them. They cheated on me. I'd hate for their face to be red. So he wants to put her away quietly. This is the kind of guy he is, stand-up guy. He doesn't want to bring disgrace on her, on her family. I'm sure he's, he's upset. I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure he feels betrayed. And this is what happens to Joseph. It says, but when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that, which, that that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Could somebody tell me what Emmanuel means? God with us. What a powerful thing. Which translated means God with us. So you could have cheated on that and just looked ahead. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took her as his wife. Now, that's funny how much is contained in just that little verse. The, the, the verse just, just kind of says it like it was no big deal. But you and me know that was a big deal what he just did. Yeah. Joseph did what the angel said. Yeah. This is a weird little week they've been having. Well, not more than a week. This is a weird little year they've been having. A weird set of months. Because first he finds out his, his betrothed is pregnant. She probably tells him and tries to tell him some story about God and an angel. 
But then an angel shows up in his dream and says this to him. He tells him, don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. That is, just like she told you, that child is of the Holy Spirit. So he does what the angel says. I love how the angel told him, said, this, this is the guy. This is the promise. He's going to take away our sins. This is what the prophets had spoken about. And so Joseph, just like Mary, is all of a sudden being, realizing that he's being thrown into a plan that's much bigger than himself. And for that sake, he does as the angel said. Isn't it powerful what Mary said? Let it be done to me according to your word. What her cousin Elizabeth said to her is she said, blessed is the one who believed that what God spoke was going to happen. Blessed is the woman who believed that what God said is actually going to happen. Now, from Mary to Joseph, not only did they have to deal with the stigma of having a baby before they were married, which, as I said, was a much bigger deal in their time. It's not a small deal now, but it was a really big deal then. These were godly people, and for this to happen was, was a shock. Not only did they have to deal with that, but, you know, they went through the whole going home, having a baby, not finding room, having to have the baby where the animals are kept. All of this is happening. Not only that, but then the king, of, uh, the king that, that uh, the Roman uh, government has appointed to be uh, ruler over this area of Judea, this king all of a sudden decides that he wants to find this baby and kill it. So their first real experience with their little baby toddler is that they have to run away to Egypt so he doesn't get executed by some soldiers. Now, I've been through the whole raising a baby thing a little bit. We're, you know, we got a son who's a year and a half, and sometimes it's hard, but I've never had RCMP officers show up at my door and say, I'm sorry, we have to end your baby's life. That's never happened to me. You can imagine how messed up their life was. First, going through the stigma. Then, you know, having to, to have a very uncomfortable pregnancy. Then having to run away to Egypt to get away from a maniacal king that's trying to kill your baby. And then coming back home. These guys have not had their share of, of, of really pleasant experiences from this whole thing. And yet they say, thank God you've done great things for me. My soul will rejoice in the Lord my God. Why? Because to them being part of the greater plan of redemption was the greatest honor they ever could be given. And to me, I take great inspiration from this. Because so many times, God will speak and say, you know, this is how I want to use you. And you say, well, you know, that's going to be inconvenient. Have you checked my schedule? I have to ask for time off work. And, you know, and God's saying, I want to use you for something much bigger than yourself. I've got something grand planned here. I've got something great. And you're saying, well, yeah, but, you know, my kids are in soccer. And, you know, get over it for a minute and realize that there is nothing bigger than the plan God has for your life. And the plan God has for your life is tied in with God's plan for humanity. Here's the thing. You might be small. You might be rejected. You might be somebody that nobody thinks is of importance. But God has placed you in this season, in this time, for such a time is this for a purpose you're born in the year you were born in the place you were born and God brought you to this city for a reason 
And you have to embrace that and rejoice in it. And this is what I'm talking about. Learning to rejoice in the fact that you're part of the big picture. Jesus said, and he said it so great. He said, you know, all these things that people spend their life chasing. He says things like, what are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? Where are you going to live? He says the Gentiles, in other words, those without a covenant, they eagerly desire these things. They spend their life chasing these things. And he doesn't say, but you guys don't need that stuff. But you guys don't need to worry about that stuff. Do you know what he says? He says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. See, Jesus didn't just say, you just need to be more spiritual, those Gentiles. You don't need those kind of things. You're spiritual. You don't need food. You don't need clothes. He says, you need those things. The things that the rest of the world spends their whole life chasing, the Father knows you need them, and he's happy to give them to you. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those other things that everybody spends their life chasing will be added to you. Once again, there's a ditch on each side of this road. You can be in the ditch that the Gentiles are in, of spending your whole life chasing things that you think are important. And at the end of your life, it wasn't worth it. You spend all your life working these long hours. You spend all your life doing all these things because you think these things are what you really need to be successful and to be satisfied. And you find out that's not what you were created for. You can fall into the other ditch and say, well, I guess I'm not just, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm dedicated to him, so I guess I can't have any of these things. Because at the same time, he says, seek first the kingdom, and all of these things will be added to you. God is, God is the one that gives you these things. He's not against you having those things. But they should never be your object. They should never be your point. They're never the goal. And they shouldn't take too much of your time thinking about them. Because what you spend most of your time thinking about, what you spend most of your time praying about, these are the things you're seeking. These are the things you're seeking. Now, if your prayer life, your prayer life, the Bible does say, it says it clearly that you are to ask for what you need. James said, you have not because you never asked. Right? It's not a sin for you to ask for things you need and for things even you desire. Those aren't wrong. They shouldn't be the majority of your prayer life, though. The majority of your time with the Lord is not seeking your will, but His. Oh, the Bible says He richly supplies all things for you to enjoy. Don't worry about that. But, you know, if you were to pass me your weekly schedule, we could find out real quick what your priorities were. If you were to uh, think about the things you, the things you wake up thinking about, the things you go to sleep thinking about, the things that you think about when you're driving uh, back and forth from work. You might think they're important at the time, and, and I'm sure they are. And God cares about those things. But the majority of your time, what are you seeking? What are you alive for? Why are you here? And I understand that there are things that are immediately, there's the tyranny of the immediate, as they call it. The things that are just constantly, these little things that are taking up your time and taking up your energy and you're worried about this and you're worried about that. I understand that, but here's Jesus. Here's what he said. The Father will give you those things. Seek his kingdom and he'll add those things to you. It's about trust. Do you trust God that he cares about those things more than you care about them?
that he cares about you more than you care about yourself? Do you trust God that if you set your life and you say the thing that matters to me more than anything is his kingdom? That's a scary thought. And the reason it's scary is because if you don't trust God, you think if I begin to think that way, I'll, I'll, you know, who's going to look out for me? But the scripture says he died for us. He died for all that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. We, we were born again, so we wouldn't have to live for ourselves anymore. And like I've said before, that's good news. That means you're not the one who has to take care of you, that you have got a great father in heaven who loves to take care of you, who cares about you, but your life is not about you anymore. That, is a, that's, that might seem like a bad thought, but that's only a bad thought if no one else is looking out for you. But he is. Here's the great thing in life. You no longer exist for you. You no longer exist for these little things that you're constantly worried about. You exist for a greater purpose and a greater plan and a kingdom. And you're part of that kingdom. And you're part of a body. And you're part of God's ultimate plan of redemption. Isn't that cool to know? That all throughout history, God did not forsake humanity. No matter how many times we turned our back towards him, he did not forsake us. He said, I've got a plan to rescue all of you. Any who would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. To all who would believed is given this gift. And you watch through the Old Testament. Sometimes you're so puzzled. Why did it happen this way? And why did it happen that? But the story from the beginning to the end was that from the beginning when man messed up, everything that happens after that was leading up to God's plan to redeem and rescue humanity. And he kept his promise. And Mary and Joseph are about to have their life seriously messed up. But to them, they are honored and really, really happy about it. Because to them, I'm part of something much bigger than me. And people from generations on will call me blessed. <laughs> Even when Mary, I mean, Jesus, I'm sure, was a good kid. He was without sin, right? right. Being without sin means you probably were a good kid. Yeah. That's just the math I'm doing. <laughs> but she gets, she gets to a point where there are some awkward moments. There's moments like when she shows up, when Jesus is teaching, she shows up with her other sons, and they want Jesus to take a break from teaching and talk to them because they're so important because I'm your mother. And he says to the messengers, they don't even come in the room. They're too important. So they send messengers to go in and go get Jesus. Go get Jesus. I'm his mother. And Jesus sends those messengers back and says, who are my mother? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? These ones who do the will of the Lord. These are my mother. These are my brothers. That's the, that's the treatment she gets outside the, the house. So if she thought she was going to get special treatment for the rest of her life, she was, she's a little bit mistaken. But I, you know what? I, I'm sure that was a blip. I'm sure she got her act back together. But even when, even when Jesus came into his ministry, she wasn't getting special treatment. And yet she considered herself honored and blessed to be chosen. Here's the thought. If I, my life is really seeking his kingdom, then I know all those things will be added to me. But I no longer count as important what I used to think were important. The Apostle Paul said, he says, 
these light and temporary afflictions, these present and momentary, they're light. They're so light compared to the eternal weight of glory. To him, the little things he had to go through to get the gospel to the people he was sent to were small and light compared to the weight of what he was, of the glory that he was called to. We got to see our life this way. You're part of something much bigger. And because you're part of something much bigger, God will take care of the little things. Don't think, don't think for a second that, that God no longer cares about the small things. He's big enough to care about the small and the great. He's, he's strong enough and infinite enough to hold the microscopic little tiny amoebas together and yet hold the universe together. He can do that. So he can handle your small issues and the big picture at the same time. But as believers, let's get to the place where we begin to see life, see ourselves as part of the big picture. When's the last time you thought that way? When's the last time you really took a step back from all your things that were happening in life and started to say, big picture, how do I play a role here? I mean, you know, it's easy to get sucked into that, what's happening today and this week and this month and all the things that need to happen and all the things that are demanding your time and your energy and the kids and, and this and that. But allow God to minister to your heart in such a way that you could step back and say, okay, that, that's important. I'm not saying it's not. But what about the big picture here? What God, what are you doing in our city? God, what are you doing in Canada? God, what are you doing in these times, in this era, in this age? And how do I play a role in that? There's an old song that you, most of you know. And, and those words, I'm sure, are stuck in your head as they are with mine. And it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And it says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You find the more you look at the grandness, the greatness of who he is, the little things grow dim. I've said this so many times. I hope you're not tired of me saying it. But I used to read when it said, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. I used to think, I honestly believe this, that when I cast my cares upon him, and cares are the things that cause you to, you know, the things that you're responsible for, the things that cause you anxiety, the things that you're worried about, the things that you're concerned about, the things you have to deal with. The Bible says, cast your cares. And, and the, the image that's being used there is, is what they do in those day and, that day and age of transferring a burden off one animal to a fresh new animal. And you transfer all the weight and all the packs from this beast to that beast. And you're casting the burden onto this beast. Well, that's what the Bible says, to cast your burden, cast your cares upon him. And I used to read that and think that God was taking my cares and throwing them into the sea of forgetfulness. But that's not what he does. Because it says, for he cares for you. When you cast your cares upon him, he's not saying, good, we can all forget about him. He's carrying the burden you were carrying. So when you cast your cares on him, there is a, there's something that goes on in your heart. There's something that goes on in your head. When you really learn to stop worrying about every little thing, and you learn to start trusting God with some things. Doesn't mean he's not going to tell you to do things. Doesn't mean you're not going to be responsible in areas. It doesn't mean you can just no longer say, I cast my kids upon the Lord. They can find their own food. That's not what you're saying. 
but you cast the worry, the things you've been carrying, the things that keep you up at night, the things that keep you from the peace that Jesus died to give you. You cast on to him, for he cares for you. And the thing that goes on in your head when you do that is, if I don't take care of it, who will? And you have to know, he will. Seek first. That means before everything else. That means it's your primary goal. It's your primary obsession. It's the thing you're created for. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'd love us to be kingdom people who saw and thought of God's greater picture as the big picture, as the point in life, rather than just what our, our little things going on. Your little things are important, but they're not as important as the big picture. And you're a part of that big picture. And you should rejoice like Mary rejoiced. Because in the end, you know what? God kept Mary alive. God kept Joseph alive. I don't know how long Joseph was alive. It seems like he might have gone on before Mary did. But even when Mary was at the foot of the cross, Jesus said to, the, to one disciple, he looked at him and said, you take care of me. And this is my paraphrase, but he said, you take care of my mother. And he looked at her and said, he'll take care of you. Church history tells us that John did exactly that. It says that they eventually lived in Ephesus. And they had a house, and John took care of Mary for the rest of his life. So just because you're part of the big picture doesn't mean God doesn't worry about, doesn't take care and concern for your small picture. But when's the last time you considered, what's my big picture purpose here? It doesn't mean you have to be the, the big revolutionary, you know, that, 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 that goes in the history books. A lot of times, you, uh, the most important people are the people that never make it into the history they never make it onto the TV screen. They never, they never really get the recognition here, but they get, oh, so much recognition in heaven. They get honor in heaven. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, if you get your applause from people, you have your reward. But if you go and you do it for, for his sake and you don't worry what people think about you, you have his applause. Your reward is in heaven. And there's a reward in heaven for so many of you. And I want you to know you're important I want you to know you're part of a great big picture plan. There are going to be things in your life where you're going to have a choice. You're going to have a fork in the road. Do I want what's best for me or do I want what's best for the kingdom? And I will tell you the cheat. I'll give you a spoiler here. What's best for the kingdom is always what's best for you. It just doesn't look like it at the time sometimes. This is always the better way because when you seek the kingdom, God takes care of that other stuff. Isn't that great? You don't, you don't have to choose between one or the other. If you choose him, he takes care of the other. Thank God. Thank God he's that good. So I reflect in this season, I reflect on two extraordinary young people, Mary and Joseph, who just had the greatest news. In their mind, the greatest news they could ever hear was, I'm about to make your life really, really weird. I'm about to make it awkward. I'm about to mess it up. But you're going to be part of my great plan of redemption. When's the last time you were driving through Lloydminster and the Lord spoke to your heart and says, I want you to go to this person's house and you go, but I got things to do. I've got plans. And he says, so do I. Why don't you stick with my plan? I'll worry about that other stuff. But what about the groceries? I'll, you know what? You, you, you do what I tell you to do and all of that will work out. So many times we feel like we're forced to choose. 
The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. And we go, oh, that's going to mess with my schedule. That's going to mess with my life. That's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. That's going to mess with my work relationships. That's going to mess with my family. And he says, if you seek me and my kingdom and my purpose and my plan, I will take care of your side. Do you trust him to do that? Many of you could get up here and grab the mic right now and tell of example after example where that's been true in your life. Thank God. This is why it's good to have fathers and mothers as well as the sons and the daughters. It's good, why it's ha- it's good to have people who've been in this for a while as well as the young people. The Bible says that, that uh, some of the benefit of the young people is they're strong. They got energy. But the benefit, he says, of the fathers is they know him who's from the beginning. They've experienced the goodness of God. So what I love about a church that's got young people and older people, I'm not telling you where I draw that line, but where the young people and the people that have been doing it for a while is the young people got all the energy in the world, and they're ready to go, let's take the mountain, let's go, let's go. But the older people, they, they can tell you the stories and testimonies of how God has always been faithful. And that's why it's so important that we have those conversations between one another, that you're able, if, you're, if you've been in it for a while, take someone aside, take one of these kids aside, and tell them some stories of what God's done because they need to hear that no matter how much they try and no matter how much they do there is nothing better than seeking the kingdom of God and you've got proof amen Amen. let's stand up together God is so good he's good to us he's good to you I want everybody here to know that God cares for you you were uniquely created the Bible says This is the Bible. This isn't me. This isn't some cute precious moments quote. The Bible says that he has numbered the hairs in your head. Is there anybody here that knows how many hairs you have on your head? Anybody? I didn't want to insult any bald people, so you all have hair. Because that was going to be awkward. There's nobody in the room who knows how many hairs you have, and yet God does. He cares about the little things. He cares about the details. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, if you don't worry about it, nobody will. (laughs) Anxiety, Jesus said, which one of you by being worried can add a a moment to your life? Has anybody here ever ever saved anything by, by worrying too much? In fact, it takes away from life. He cares for you, and yet I want you to get over for a moment, get over. I want you to think like David did. David said at one point he is surrounded by people that want to kill him. He's surrounded by people that betrayed him. And all he can see is all the stuff that's come against him to, to destroy him. And he says, one thing I seek, one thing, I desire is to dwell in your house, to gaze upon the beauty of your holiness. This is what he asks. He didn't say, one thing I seek, wipe those punks out. He says, one thing I seek, to dwell in your house, to gaze upon your beauty. And he says, when he begins to talk like this, he says, for in this time, you'll lift my head, you'll lift my head above my enemies, you'll set my foot upon a rock. What's so cool about that is, at the moment, all he could see were all of the things that were 
all of the issues and all of the things he had to deal with, all of the things that were trying to kill him and come against him. But he said when he sought the Lord, the Lord lifted him up so he could see past the immediate issues, so he could see past the people that were trying to kill him, and he could see the big picture, and he gained hope from it. In another place, he says, why does it work out? Why are the wicked doing so well and, and, and the good people doing so bad? Why is it like this? And he said, then I went into your sanctuary and I perceived their end. Surely you've set them upon a slippery place. In other words, a lot of times when we're looking this way and we're looking horizontal and we can't see past the immediate problems, some of you feel like you're just, you, all you can think about is what's happening today and this week. There's so much going on. Will you allow God to lift you up and allow you to see something bigger than just the immediate? Because when you see the bigger picture, a lot of times the immediate comes into order, it comes into place. And I believe that's God's plan for you today. I'd like to pray for you. For those of you right now that have felt like you can't see above the immediate issues and you feel stressed, and you feel burdened, and you feel worried, and you feel like, I can't think big picture. There's so much going on in my life right now. I'd like you just to take this moment and let God minister to you. In fact, let's close our eyes. And it's my desire to pray for you today that just as David said when he sought the Lord and when he, when he turned his eyes toward the king, he saw past the immediate things. He saw past the things that had been stressing and worrying and burdening him. And he saw what was bigger than that. He saw the end of the, the picture. He saw the bigger picture. In the name of Jesus, Father, I come to you, and we're coming to you because we know there are things that are going on that seem to us to be so big right now. There are things that have burdened us past the point where we feel we can take them. And yet we know that those burdens were not designed for us to carry. We weren't designed to carry them. You instructed us not to worry. You said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So right now we transfer our burden onto you. Lord, will you allow us to see something bigger than ourselves? Will you, will you show us that we're part of something much greater and something much larger and something much grander than we ever could imagine? That there is something big going on. That you are doing something big in Canada. You're doing something big in Lloydminster. You're doing something big in the world right now. That you are the fulfillment of all these prophecies. The former and the latter rain are coming together. And the end of times are taking place in front of our eyes. And we're here in these days for this time and this purpose. Show us, Lord, how we can seek your kingdom. And we'll trust you to add all the other things. For you're faithful. You're always faithful. We rejoice that we've been picked. We rejoice that we're part of it. We're rejoicing even when the part we have to play might be inconvenient. We rejoice that we're part of the big picture. And that we are a part of your kingdom and your family and your body. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Draw your line in the sand. 
mark the date on the calendar and say from this date, I'm not worried about this any longer. It won't take up all my thought. It won't take up all my energy. It won't take up all my emotion. This is, my life is meant for more than these little, these things which keep harassing me. Take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench every fiery dart of the evil one. Everyone, he says in Ephesians 6. There's not one dart that should get through. The shield of faith is big enough to quench every fiery dart. Praise God. Faith in who? Shield of faith. Faith in who? Faith in God. It's that faith in God which will quench every attack of the enemy. Amen. God bless you. We love you very much.